Welcome, disciple makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, which identifies six main ministries needed to be a healthy church. The Spark Conference, a total church strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long for ongoing training in your ministry area. Access it today at thesparkconference.com. We're also setting up learning communities across Georgia to sharpen, encourage, and resource leaders personally and professionally. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org discipleship. Don't forget, you can find our previous episodes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Now let's join today's broadcast. Well, hello, folks. It's good to have you on on a special edition of our of our uh, recording today. And today we have Joy Rogers on. And uh, Joy is the pastor at First Baptist Peachtree City and the author of The Five Marks of a Disciple. And Joy, uh, we're just delighted to have you. He's also got a master's degree from... Um, from Southwestern Seminary and a doctorate as well from there. And he and his wife, Meg, live in Tyrone with their four children. And uh, we'd love for you to make some comments today in the chat. Uh, let us see your presence there. Let us know where you're from, where you're, where you're, you're chiming in from. We'd love to know that. Uh, and just make some comments. We wanna help you through the chat. Also, we're giving away some swag uh today and uh we have some books and some other things we'd like to send to someone that will win for being on the chat today and we also have carl johnson with us today carl is new he's our west central uh discipleship consultant and uh carl is is working in that area now i used to be there but i'm now up in the northwest region we're excited to have carl with us today. And we're gonna be having a good time talking with Joe and sharing together as Carl and I uh, uh, kind of interview or talk with him. You know, Joey, it's just good to have you. Tell me what's going on in your life today. What's going on? We're just in the middle of a major renovation of our preschool children's area, uh, trying to get, trying to make it through COVID and minister as effectively as we can to our people. There you go. And one day at a time, sweet Jesus. Isn't that right? That's exactly right. Of course, then I've got chasing four kids around too. So, Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, that's, yeah. Well, you, you pastor's got to have something to do. He only works on Sunday anyway. So that's exactly right. right. That's yeah, exactly there you right. go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, Joe, you shared in your book that disciples make disciples, which is so true. And many, many are attempting to be successful successful in making that first generation of disciples. We're seeing some of that, but do you have some suggestions, some suggestions for leaders that are moving to help disciples make disciple makers to raise up that second or third generation of disciple makers? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, let me begin by saying thank you for the invitation to join you today and to join Carl about making disciples. It's a great passion of mine. And also to talk a little bit about my book, The Five Marks of a Disciple. I'm truly honored to be here, and I hope that our time together will be a great encouragement to all who listen, and it'll challenge us to seek a simpler, clearer understanding of the Great Commission. 
Uh, to answer your question, I think it begins with being honest with ourselves about our own understanding of what is a disciple. After all, if you aim at nothing and hit it, what do you have? Uh, what I've discovered time and time again is that today's church does not have clarity about what a disciple is. In fact, if you get 100 pastors in the room, you're likely to get more than 100 answers, maybe like 120 answers. Uh, so, so, so I think it's critical that we each def define what a disciple is through scripture and not church culture. I think that's a problem today because a Jesus follower is not a churchgoer. It's not someone who sits in a pew on Sunday. And uh, I think this is important because it's next to impossible to make something that you are not or that you don't fully understand. And so digging into Jesus' life and ministry to discover what it means to truly follow in his footsteps, I think is a great starting point. I also think it's a problem in our churches today because discipleship has become more about the transferring of information than the process of transformation. Uh, too many people in the pews appear to think that being a disciple is getting baptized or making a profession of faith. And while that certainly is great, there's so much more to it, as you and I know. Mm. And so as a result, I fear that we have placed too great a premium on the lectern and the pulpit and even the baptismal pool rather than on one-on-one -on -one and small group interaction. I think we've misunderstood that disciples are made through dialogue far more effectively than they are through monologue. Uh, and this isn't to minimize the pulpit by any means or, or even seeing people get baptized. So much as it is to champion the reality that our ministries, if they're not actually, if they're going to actually make disciples, must ultimately focused on the individual instead of on the masses. And so to the pastor, I would encourage him to reconsider not only his definition of a disciple, but to prioritize the means and the methods that he is employing to make them. Let me give you an example. Uh, we need to preach to raise questions that foster dialogue with others and then come off the platform ready to engage others in spiritual dialogue over coffee, over one-to-one -one interaction, or, or even one-to-three interaction, mm -hmm. uh, ready to get personal with others by investing Jesus in us into them. I, I would say it this way, you cannot make a disciple if you're not willing to get your hands dirty. And, and I think that we have forgotten that Jesus, if anything, was up close and personal in, in all of his disciple making. And therefore, we must, we must be that way too. And, and I, I say that because there's no way that the people that we disciple will ever do it if they don't see us doing it and they don't, they don't understand the reason by which we're doing it and the importance of, of uh, this relationship. I also would encourage them to develop their own pathway to maturity uh, that's easy to follow and it sparks in-depth dialogue. Uh, this way, your disciples have a starting point and the relational example that they can use when they begin to pour Jesus in them into others. Uh, one thing's for sure, though, the person making disciples, they must own this truth and this process in their own hearts. Uh, I say this because, and I, I'll say it this way, if you need a curriculum to make disciples, it's because you need to be discipled. Uh, true disciples already own this conviction in their heart. They've thought through it and they've figured out how to relate with other people. I think this goes to Paul's commission in 2 Timothy, where he says, the things you've seen and heard in me entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others also. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's defining a disciple. It's figuring out how you do it best, because there's not one way of making disciples, except that it's relational. And then uh, you 
begin to engage in it in that one-to-one, one-to-three relationship with others. That's good, Pastor Joy. And so like what, what I hear you saying about understanding what a cycle is, I think we all can agree that the Great Commission is a big part of that. And, and, and that's a good starting point. So when Jesus says to us to make disciples in the Great Commission, tell us a little bit about how that fits into this big picture and how does the teaching and baptizing and uh, and going fit into what Jesus is saying and, and where, where have we gotten that right or how can we retune that? That's a great question because I think there's far too much confusion on this. Um, I know for me, I was incredibly fortunate that I was discipled by a disciple maker. Uh, Carl spent over six years pouring into me and, sure. and walking with me and, and influencing me. He taught me from everything from how to study the scripture, how to apply the scripture, how to pray, how to share my faith. He, he really invested in me. And it wasn't just the, the, the practicality of the faith. It was also the doctrines of the faith and how the doctrines are lived out. Um, and so when we come to great commission, uh, there's really only one command and it's make disciples. Mm-hmm. And as we go, we are to make disciples. And here's the thing, baptizing them and, and teaching them, those are not two separate issues. We've made them two separate issues, but they're not. It's faith and obedience that are the qualifying marks that you have succeeded in making a disciple. It's not just getting them into the baptismal pool. A true disciple trusts and obeys. It's not trust then obey, it's trust and obeys. And I believe the flaw in our understanding of making disciples is has come in our willingness to separate baptism from teaching. And uh, I just said this, the, the Great Commission is not trust then obey. The Greek is clear, trust and obey. But contrary to popular Baptist opinion, the Great Commission is more than making converts and getting people baptized. The Great Commission is making disciples who know and obey their lives. This is really cool. Their lives are characterized by a life that actually follows and lives out the nature and character of Christ. Mm -hmm. This is the teaching of the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. If you go back to Matthew 5, and the Sermon Sermon on the Mount begins with what? The Beatitudes. What are the Beatitudes? They are the qualities of someone who lives a kingdom-centered life under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's the behavior of someone who has become a Great Commission disciple. And if you notice, though, these are not the qualities. These qualities cannot be manufactured by flesh. They're produced only by the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. much like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And so the Beatitudes are actions and attitudes that bear the testimony of a surrendered and abiding life. Now, here's what's really cool. What are the, after, after giving the Beatitudes, what's the very next statement in the great, in the Sermon on the Mount? It's you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Mm-hmm. And so after expressing the Beatitudes, Jesus explained that the corresponding result of a life that's genuinely being transformed mm-hmm. is that they walk in the way of the Lord under the influence of the Holy Spirit in obedience with God's word and their lives are a visual testimony to the authenticity of genuine fellowship. Amen. And so it's entrusting and obeying that we become salt and light for the sake of the gospel. 
And I think Jesus was clear that obedience is what authenticates salvation, not lip service and certainly not religious activity. So maybe we need to be asking a different question. The question is not how many people are we baptizing? The better question is how many people, how many of the people we have baptized are actually working out what God has worked in them at the point mm-hmm. of their salvation? That's good. How many people are actually seeking and striving to follow Jesus and live on mission, following his word and leading and, and following the leading of the Holy Spirit because they're compelled, because they're convinced, as Second Corinthians says, they're compelled because they're convinced that Jesus died for all. I love what you said just then, Joey, about the working out what how God what God has done and working in you. Yeah, and that's Philippians that's, two. Yeah, that's cool. That's just a good way to to phrase that. You know, you shared it. You shared something in your book. It said, you know, you talked about the fact that the Christian life is not about primarily doing but it's about being. And uh, I thought that was a really, really cool statement. Help us understand this a little bit better because there's a lot of confusion that many believers think that they can find joy in the Christian life because of what they're doing at the church or at the, you know, or at the ball field, whatever they might be doing as a Christian instead of being a Christian. Yeah, I would simply say it this way. The Christian life is the overflow of Christ in you, living through you. Uh, I think there's a tendency for people to acquaint doing with faith. I, I, I was raised in a, a, a religious background that taught that I was saved by my good works. Of course, James addressed this in his, this misunderstanding in his epistle. And when he said faith without works is dead, he's clarifying that our actions don't save us, but only faith alone. Then once we have exercised true faith to become a citizen, actually, let me back up. Once we've exercised true faith to become a citizen and an heir of God's kingdom, it will manifest itself in Great Commission Fellowship. Uh, This is the distinction between being versus doing. I do only because I be. I don't do to be. I do because I be. Got that? And, and so if we're doing, thinking it'll save us, then we've missed the point of grace and the cross. After all, there's a way, if there was a way to have our sins forgiven and to enter into a relationship with God other than the way of the cross, then why the cross? If a person could get to heaven by their church membership, their goodness, their morality, or any other way than the old rugged cross and the empty tomb, then the reality is that Jesus died for nothing. But of course, Jesus died because he's God's one and only solution to the problem of sin. Now, here's what we can't miss because this is Great Commission. If I truly come into a saving relationship with Christ and I become a new creation, as Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, then the result will be more than conversion. It'll be a total life transformation. I become a new creation with a new heart, with new desires, with a new ambition, to serve his kingdom in righteousness. What's happened is my identity in salvation has been changed. I'm no longer a sinner, but a saint. I'm no longer lost. I'm found. I'm no longer an orphan. I'm an adopted child and heir of God. That's my being. And because of who I be, I will begin doing. I can't help it. If Jesus is in me, I can't help it. Uh, Let me give you a quick story. When I was in college, 
<laughs> I I was in a dorm that I was kind of the on my hallway. I became I kind of became the default RA. We didn't have an RA, and one day I, I hear screaming at the top of uh, of someone's lungs, and I come running out, go down, and there are three football players, each linemen, all about two eighty to three hundred pounds, and they're up on their beds. And they're screaming bloody murder because a little mouse about that big was in their room. (laughs) And he literally, that little mouse turned their room upside down. And you think about this way. If the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe is deposited in you at the point of your salvation, do you not think he's going to turn things inside out? He's not going to change you. In, in, in every single way, uh, he gives you those new desires. He changes you. And because of who I am now in Christ, I cannot help but to do. The fruit of genuine faith is activity and obedience that seeks to know God and to put a smile on his face. Now, I do want to say one more thing about this. In recent days, I'm seeing a scary trend among what I call the spiritually elite, the gracers. That's quite disconcerting. This group places too great an emphasis on being that they're teaching that doing is irrelevant, yet nothing can be further from the truth. As a disciple, it's trust and obey, which is be and do. And if we're, if we're being and not doing, we have every reason to question whether we really be. They go hand in hand. It's, it's glove in hand. That makes sense? That's good. That's good, Pastor Joy. You know, I, I like the way you have just emphasized the being comes before the doing and how that can get inverted and, and mess everything up. You also made a statement in your book. You said a convert is not necessarily a disciple, but to be a disciple, you must be a convert. And there's that word be again. And so it's not that you're eliminated one, you know, in lieu of the other. But there's, can you unpack that for us, that, that statement, uh, differentiating between a convert and a disciple? Because you made the point that we put too much emphasis on baptisms and, and we kind of neglected getting people to become followers of Christ. And so it, it, it seems that having a good grasp of this differentiation between convert and disciple is going to help at the beginning of this whole process. Can you unpack uh, that? Absolutely. Here's the thing. I didn't differentiate it. Jesus did. Mm-hmm. And Paul did too. And John did. And Peter did throughout the, all the new Testament. There's a, they differentiate conversion from actual following. See, for me, I believe Jesus laid out the marks of a disciple in Matthew 28. Only it begins in verse 16 instead of in verse 18. The Great Commission really starts in verse 16, because if you don't get the three, these three things first, then you're not going to, you're going to do verse 18 in your flesh and your own ability. Let me say it this way. The Christian life is a life that's led by the Spirit. Otherwise, it's flesh. I've yet to find any place in the Christian, in, in the scripture that says I can live the Christian life independent of the Holy Spirit. Have you? No. And yet, 
what do we do? We leave out the parts that say you have to live surrendered. You have to know Christ as Savior and walk with Him as your Lord. And then the result of Christ in you living through you is what goes out and does Great Commission. We want to take that out and say, hey, go in your own ability, go in your own ingenuity and try to live this thing. And and they're called the Great Commission. When I look at Isaiah, it says all of our righteous deeds are filthy garments. If it's not done through the movement and the guiding and the utterance of the Holy Spirit, then it's it's not Great Commission. We may call it Great Commission, but that doesn't make it Great Commission. And so in reading the passage, and this is kind of the, this is the highlight of the back half of the book. If you don't mind me kind of shamelessly plugging this, but uh, in, re- in, in, in reading the passage, Matthew, Matthew 28, 16, after the resurrection, Jesus called the 11 and a few others to meet him on the mountaintop, likely Mount Arbel right there on the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. But it could have possibly been Mount Hermon, which is about 35 miles north where the transfiguration took place. In either case, it required incredible effort on their part to show up. And here's the thing. Are you going to make yourself available? Are you going to walk that 35 miles? Are you going to climb that mountain if you're not absolutely convinced that Jesus was who he said he was and did what he said he did? Of course you're not. But when you're compelled because you're convinced, that's what, that's what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. When you're compelled because you're convinced, it changes everything. And you will abandon and make yourself available to God. And this is exactly what the disciples did in that moment. And then it says, when they arrived, they worshiped him. Now, I love this because, you know, worship today has become so much about music. But I can assure you, these men and women didn't get in the circle putting Jesus in the ring, bull in the ring, hold hands and sing Kumbaya. It is with their, with all their affection that they loved him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And here's what worship is. They gave Jesus his rightful place on the throne of their hearts. And they gave all their affection, all their energy to honoring that. And so too does any, any person who's a follower of Jesus. Jesus becomes the driving love and passion of their lives. And this gets to the third mark, which may be the most important in this challenge. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And it's implied in this scripture that through the Holy Spirit, God has given us complete access to his power and his authority, but we only get it when we abide in him. What did Jesus say? You are the vine, I am the branches. If you abide in me and I knew you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, we can do what? Nothing. This is what it means to walk in the light as he is in the light. And so instead of living in, the, in our ability and in our ingenuity, living in the ability and ingenuity of the flesh, we have to live plugged into the power of God. Uh, I share this story in my book because I think it's such a great story. Uh, I actually heard it from Dr. Tony Evans. He shares a story about this guy who goes and buys a, a $10,000 refrigerator. It's got everything in it. It's, it's got all the different zones. It's got TV. I mean, it's the... It's the Mac Daddy of all of all refrigerators. He fills it up with all of his favorite foods, goes on a business trip. When he comes back two weeks later, he opens it up all excited and all the vegetables have rotted. The, the, the ice cream has melted. The meat has rotted. There's just a stench that comes wafting out. And this guy's like perplexed. And so what he does, he calls Best Buy and says, hey, we got a problem. I bought this $10,000 refrigerator. It's not working. Well, 
the guy on the other line says, well, do this for me. First and foremost, put your ear up to it and tell me if you hear the low hum of an engine of the motor. No, mo no, 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 no sound. He says, open it up and tell me if the light comes on. Of course, he opens it up. There's no light. And he says, well, pull it back from the wall and make sure it's plugged in. Well, of course, it wasn't plugged in. Well, the guy said, it doesn't matter that it wasn't plugged in. This is a $10,000 refrigerator. It ought to work whether it's plugged in or not. To which the guy says, sir, it doesn't matter if it's a $10 refrigerator or a $10,000 refrigerator. A refrigerator is a dependent appliance requiring an outside source to power it. We have forgotten as children of God that we are absolutely and utterly dependent upon God for everything. We don't get saved and then can unplug. It's not like the Christian life is lived on batteries. We have to be plugged into the power, and that's the abiding life. That's walking the Spirit. That's walking in the light. And until we get this, until we plug into the authority of God and live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we're going to do a lot of things in the name of God that God probably doesn't want or need done. Mm. And, we, and we'll call it ministry. But that's not what Great Commission is. You know, and you so, talk, uh, Joe, you talked about we call it ministry, and that kind of leads into the next question. And, you know, you shared um, that churches many times want to redefine the mission just to keep the program going. Yeah. Uh, in other words, this is what we want to do as a church. Now let's figure out how we can redefine what scripture says to match what we like to do at our church or the things we like to have at our church. What are you, what are you talking about there? Well, I believe that what we've done is we have changed the scorecard and to, to adjust to what we're doing so that we can feel successful rather than allowing the scorecard to be measured by what God says. Uh, and to be honest with you, this is an exceedingly complex answer or, or challenge that we're facing. And I'll try to make it simple because we've tended to misdefine what a disciple is. We've settled for a brand of Christianity that's morally, morally based and conversion centric. We focused on and have even convinced ourselves that a convert is a disciple when Paul says, no, it's someone who has a changed life that looks like Jesus. Think of it this way. If, if we were to ask the average person, what is a good Christian? We would hear things like they're moral, they're church going, they're kind hearted, they're nice, they're evangelistic. And yet none of this is remotely close to what God had in mind. Uh, consider Paul's prayer in Colossians 1. He prayed that they would be filled, that's a passive verb in the Greek, by the Holy Spirit. So they're filled from an outside source. They're filled from the outside in to do a work in them from the inside out and that they might walk worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Paul then gets explicit. And I want you to notice the difference that Paul gives. He says, instead of saying they're good, they're nice, they're kind, they go on mission trips, etc., He says they bear fruit in every good work. Can we bear fruit independent of the Holy Spirit? No not according to John 15. He also says that they grow in their experiential knowledge of God. That is, they, they see God becomes so real to them. They see, touch, taste, and feel him by faith. 
He says they'd be strengthened with, with all power and their and guided by the Holy Spirit, that they would have endurance, patience, and gratitude. This is pretty interesting to me. The word endurance aligns with James 1. It's encouraging us to have patience with our circumstances because we understand that God is working in and through them to bring us in alignment under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And then patience is the word regarding how we engage people. And what he's saying is we should be able to treat other people the way Jesus treats us, even when other people treat us the way they treated Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't do that in my flesh. That can only be done by the Spirit. And so we have, we, we have a scorecard that says, here's what I can do in my good flesh, and then we can pat ourselves on the back, but it doesn't compare to what God says is a Spirit-led life. And and, and since they can't be done in the flesh, what we have to do is we have to change the scorecard so that we can feel good about our ministries rather than being honest with ourselves that maybe we're doing ministry in our ability instead of through God's ability. That's good. That's good. So, Pastor Joey, I like what you said about the scorecard and how they kind of just fix the game to, to match what they want to. So it's, you're really talking about what you're actually measuring in, yeah. in, in terms of uh having programs as opposed to making disciples. So when you establish your discipleship pathway, you know, there at your church, First Baptist Peace Peace City, but uh, how did that develop and, and how do you actually implement that? Did you have to eliminate some programs or or, or get try to influence the culture to change to more disciple making? How does that pathway look? Uh, it, it is a work in progress. Okay. Um, especially being in a church that's 50 years old, that, that was a, what I would consider to be a, a traditionally minded Sunday school church. And we have always been a, a solid Bible teaching church. Um, and so we, when we started sitting down saying, okay, if we want people to take this information and actually put it into practice, as James 1 tells us to, if we want to see transformation instead of just the outlaying of information, we're going to have to change things. And so what we did, we did two things. One, we looked at Jesus' model of ministry. Jesus didn't start with the masses and try to get to the one. He started with the one, and they went out in mass to reach the world. And so we started looking at how do we invert the model and First thing, and I know, I mean, I may be, I may be crucified. I, I'm liable to be burned at the stake for this statement. But the first thing we did was we did, we made the pulpit not the most important thing in the church. And that's hard for a lot of pastors to understand. Hmm. But if you think you're going to make, you think you're going to make disciples from pulpits, you're mistaken. They're not made from pulpits. That doesn't mean the pulpit's irrelevant. The pulpit is a great place to create the questions and create the dialogue. And so we came up with a strategy. It goes like this. You're one with many, one with some, one with few, one-on-one. I'm say it again. One with many, one with some, one with few, one-on-one. And so what we tell our church, what we help our church understand is that one with many is the experience of the entire mission of the church. We are all a part of something bigger than ourselves and that we together have more ability. We have a greater ability to do more for the kingdom of God together than we can alone. And so it's pulling 
together to minister to the community around us. Then we're one with some. This is where we get into bite-sized pieces. This is where we get into life groups. This is where we go, come into community. You know, we're, we're uh, a church, you know, several hundred people. And so to get into smaller groups, these life groups, we do life with one another around the word of God. Now, inside of our life groups, we take a, what I call a, an Ephesians approach. We have a teacher, and then we have a male and female person who make their priority ministry discipling those who have a greater hunger and desire for the things of God. And so they spend time with them, and we, we use our deacons for this. In fact, our deacons, they serve for the purpose of making disciples. They don't just serve. And they serve through our life groups. Uh, and that's, that's been a big help. But we call it the ministry of alongsiding. Uh, in fact, if you've, there's a great book um, in helping people to learn how to do this. It's called the, the Way of the Alongsider. But the alongsider refers to the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, who walks alongside of us. And that we, if we're, when we disciple, what we're doing, we're coming alongside of others. And so we tell our people, you're part of something bigger. We want to get you into something a little smaller so you can do life and walk alongside of each other. And then we say one with few. This is where we're trying to use our men's and women's ministry. We're not here yet. We're working on this. But instead of having a program-driven men's ministry and women's ministry, we want to have a disciple-making-driven men's and women's ministry where one woman who's more spiritually mature is willing to take two or three other women and to journey with them, pouring Jesus in them into them. We call it taking spiritual responsibility for another person. And this is a ministry. We just hired a new staff member. And this is kind of a priority for him. And then the last thing, of course, is one-on-one. -on -one, and this is absolutely the most essential thing. And that is learning how to walk with God by yourself. Yeah. And so we, we create materials. We've created, we've created several devotional pathways to really help foster spending time with God one-on-one. -on -one. And so while we say one with many, one with some, one with few, one-on-one, -on -one, the truth is we want to invert that and that we want the priority to be your relationship with God that builds out into the faith community. Mm. Well, that's great, Joey. And, uh, you know, um, I've enjoyed meeting with you and meeting with Craig and your staff uh, a couple of times and enjoying to hear that, that you've got actually established a pathway or a, a process that we're going to see. Uh, it is hard to measure this. It's hard to know. Yeah. Um, to see the success of that and, and how do you measure that? I think probably part of that measurement would be who's not just that we're discipling people, but who's discipling someone else that we have discipled and making in the disciple making process. Absolutely. You know, and our, and our team, uh, in, of consultants around the state are more than uh, ready and willing to help our churches, throughout Georgia with establishing a disciple-making pathway in your church and helping to understand what that means uh, uh, to help grow folks in their faith and to help them multiply the work of reaching people with the gospel instead of just having additions in the church. We're just grateful that you've been with us today. Thank you. And uh, if you want to obtain Joey's book, you can look in the chat right now and you'll see uh, a couple of ways you can get that. You can get that directly from uh, Joey and his church. You can get it off of Amazon as well. 
And then, uh, you know, we want to thank you for your continued support of the cooperative program and your giving uh, at your church. For It allows us to be able to do exactly what we're doing today and providing these types of venues for you to learn and to grow in your faith and being a disciple maker and being a leader in your church. And uh, I want to thank Ray Sullivan. He's way down in the southeast quadrant of our state. He is recording today from Hoboken, Georgia. And yes, they have internet and electricity in Hoboken, <laughs> and we're grateful for that. And he's able to do that all the way down there. And we're grateful for him and his working with us down there. And uh, thank you so much for being with us today and have a blessed day. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple makers.